Good morning. There we go. Uh, yeah, so I'm Zach. You know, over the past few weeks, you've probably heard my name thrown out a lot, but this is me. This is the body. You know, I'm Zach, right? Ooh, establish that. Cool. All right. Um, so we're in this series called 140, uh, One Church, 40 Days. Um, as we go through Lent together as a church, um, it's been a really great time so far. I'm excited to get into this message. They gave me a really, really good one. They gave me a really, really good one. Um, so we'll just go from there. Matthew 5 says this. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Told you it was good. Told you it was a good one, right? If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your entire body to go into hell. You guys ready? All right, well, I'll, I'll take a break for a second. We'll, we'll leave it there. I didn't feel it would be right for me to just stand up here and, like, preach on something like this without, like, letting you guys know who I am first a little bit. Like, some of you know me, but um, I just thought it would be good for me to kind of share my story with you. You guys feel good about that? Can I do that for you? All right. Cool. So, my story. Um, I grew up in the church. Not necessarily this church. Um, my grandpa, who's sitting right over there. Hi, grandpa. <laughs> um, he was a pastor, and by the time I was born, he was... Um, the pastor of a church here in Portage, Grace Baptist. Um, yeah, and uh, my family was actually quite famous. And by quite, I'll let you determine what quite means, right? Quite famous. We have CDs. My grandpa actually brought one this morning. And this is our family CD. We were a uh, Southern Gospel singing group called the Singing Reds, right? And we traveled all over um, the U.S. for the first few years of my life um, singing. I sang this song called He Don't Treat Me Like Dirt, and no, I will not sing it, no matter how many times you ask me, you beg me, I'm not going to do it. Um, uh, there's YouTube videos if you really need to see it, like it's out there, go find it there, it's probably better, you know what I mean? Um, I was a part of this with uh, two of my cousins, and like all stars of the shows do, eventually you go solo, right? And so I did, I went solo. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but that was, that was my life for the first few years, was, was traveling and singing. Um, and when I wasn't traveling, I was here in Portage. I've been attending um, here at Real Life for probably about 12 years. Um, and it was spotty at first, like, like teenagers are, right? Like you, you kind of show up and whatever, right? But obviously I'm here now, so you guys have like killed it at roping me in. I don't know what you did, but good work, right? Um, yeah, so uh, more about me, I love all things sports. Right now, I'm actually kicking butt in this March Madness thing. You guys follow that? Yeah. Um, our staff is being whooped by me right now in our bracket challenge. So probably won't last long, but that's okay. I feel, I feel validity right now. You know what I mean? is, that, is that the right word? Whatever. You get what I'm saying. Um, I grew up playing all kinds of sports, basketball, baseball, football, soccer, um, anything that I could get my hands on. And my family, but especially my parents, um, were my biggest fans, and if you have been around the last few years of my life, you may have heard of a thing called Zach's Fan Club. They're all sitting over there. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, 
Yeah, so I, I grew up doing all these things, and my parents were my biggest supporters, right? And it was to the point where, um, well, I have some vivid memories of my dad being about this close to my face and it being completely red, um, just going nuts because I didn't do something right. But, like, granted, it was like t-ball, and I was like, is this really, is it really important? But whatever. You know, they loved me, and they wanted to see me do well. Um, but by the time I got to my senior year, um, it was just basketball for me. That was my love. That was my passion. Um, that's what I enjoyed doing. And uh, I would eventually go on to play basketball at a small um, university in Ohio. But like I mentioned before, I grew up in the church. So if you asked me pretty much any time in my life um, if I believed in God, the answer was yes. Um, and my family was good about nurturing and supporting and, and um, kind of breeding that in me. Um, to be a, a Christian and to have good faith. Um, and they did that really, really well um, up until I lost one of the people that was closest to me. Um, when I was 15 years old, my freshman year of high school, in May of 2014, my dad passed away. And that, for me, began a long few years of, of depression and questioning and wrestling with all of these things. Um, and one of my biggest challenges to understand was what God would allow those things to happen to me. Like, what God would allow my dad to be taken away from me. I was 15. Like, I love my dad. I, I don't understand what's going on, right? And I don't understand what God would allow that to happen to my family and to whatever, to, to my dad even. I, like, to watch him struggle was, was horrible for me, right? And this was this huge thing. And I was at this point of questioning and this depression up until and through my senior year um, of high school, honestly. Um, and it wasn't until the summer of my senior year that I kind of took faith seriously. It was kind of by accident. Does that make sense? No? Good, I'll explain it. <laughs> um, how many of you, like, have ever had an experience with a youth pastor? Yeah, right. Um, so they are notorious for tricking you into coming to church. Like, notorious. And if you look right now, I got two right here. I got one right there. There's two more up there. Like, they're all over the place. They are notorious for getting students. Two more right there. Look, all over the place. They are notorious for getting you to come to church, right? And uh, so for me, what, what got me was I showed up to, to the church one day, um, and the youth pastor at the time was like, hey, we're going to Virginia Beach next week. You want to go? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, who wouldn't, right? And, and I'm sure somewhere in there, he like actually told me what it was in one ear, out the other. Virginia Beach, yes, I'm going, right? And so I went, and it turned out um, to be a mission trip, which is great. Love mission trips. Um, but at the time, I was just like, I don't know what this is. Um, and it was through an organization called Team Effort. And, and I remember... I remember everything that happened that week so well, mostly because I was surrounded by this group of people that this church had raised up to love God and to love people. And through the relationships that I would eventually make that summer and then coming back from that trip and, and starting to engage in the church here, um, through those relationships, I was able to wrestle with a lot of the things that had happened to me in my life. And I was able to go through some of those conversations and, and kind of talk through um, a lot of my, my hurts and struggles. And after talking through those things, I began to realize that it wasn't God that was, that was putting those things on me, right? Like, God didn't do that to my dad. God didn't do that to my family, right? Um, 
And, and I realized that instead of attacking God and saying, this is all your fault, I could lean on him because he was my refuge and my comfort and my strength. And so if you hear nothing else this entire day, hear that. God is your refuge. God is your strength. God is your comfort. Lean on him in times of struggle and hurt because I would not be where I'm at today if I did not. Um, and so that summer for me was kind of my recommittal to Christ and his plan um, for my life. And uh, I went and played my basketball at college and, and did that. And the issue was I realized very quickly that I would not do well in that situation. I realized very quickly that it was a bit of a party school and I did not have the spiritual maturity and, or the, just the general maturity to not make those, those decisions, right? To not get sucked up into the, to the parties. Um, and so I loved basketball, and I still do to this day, and I will give anyone in this room buckets at any time, I promise you. You're up there somewhere, Blake. I'll give you buckets anytime. Hey, bud. Yeah. Um, no, but I love it. It's, it I, I do it all the time. Um, but I knew that that environment wasn't going to work for me, right? It, and it was not going to help me strengthen my spirituality. And I realized that God wanted me somewhere else. So I came home. And I came back to this church, and that's when I began to um, really invest in what was happening here. And um, I joined the worship team. Often I played percussion because I just knew how to hit stuff. I didn't know how to do anything else, but I could hit stuff, right? Um, so I did that, and uh, eventually I taught myself a bunch of other stuff. And uh, I also led um, the students in worship. And so for me, that's what it, that was fun. That was my passion, was leading others in worship, and, and still to this day, um, that's, that's something I love. I mean, you see me up here. Um, that's, that's what I did. Um, and so I thought, like, that must be what God has for me, right? It's a passion of mine. I love it. He's provided an opportunity for me to do it. That must be what I'm called to do, right? And so I went, I went to Olivet Nazarene for worship ministry because I felt like that's what God had for me. Wrong. Wrong. I quickly discovered I don't like music that much. I don't. <laughs> I don't at all. Um, I, I love music. I don't love, like, 60 hours a week taking music theory. If you ever thought, maybe I should do that, don't. It's bad. It's not good. <laughs> um, yeah, so I just realized that I, I don't, that's not, that's not for me. And uh, so I was like, you know what, maybe... Maybe it was the student ministry side that I loved. Maybe, that, maybe that's what God was calling me to, and that's, that's the part that, that kind of ignited my passion um, was serving in the, in the worship team for students. And so I was like, I'll just switch it to youth ministry. And so my second semester, I switched my major, and uh, it was good. It was better. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the content more. I enjoyed learning about, um, like, kind of the development of teens and stuff. But I still felt like, eh. Like, maybe not, right? Like, it does, something doesn't feel right. And so I left. And um, this is kind of an inside joke, but I don't care. Um, I like to call myself a three-time college dropout, and it's because I am. Like, I have left college three times. So, yeah, three-time college dropout, still made it. Hallelujah, right? <laughs> um, but you want to see how funny God is? I decided that I wanted to spend my summer after coming home discovering God. I needed to dive deeper. I need to figure out what God had for my life and what he was calling me to, right? And so I was like, you know what the best 
place to do that would be summer camp. Like, I could go work for a summer camp organization, right? So I applied to a bunch. Guess what was the only one that got back to me? The same one that I went to in 2017 with the youth group here, team effort. Um, and my thought was, you know, they have some places like Tennessee, and I could go there. That would be a fun summer, right? Who wouldn't want to spend the, mount, like, the summer in the mountains of Tennessee and, and doing all that? Um, the first question they asked me, though, do you speak Spanish? And I, I, have, I have a suggestion for you. If somebody asks you that question and you don't speak fluently, do not say the words, I know enough to get by. Don't. Because... They sent me to Puerto Rico, where I very quickly found out I do not. <laughs> I do not speak enough to get by, right? And, uh, and, and so that summer, though, I was able to meet hundreds and hundreds of students um, that showed up to Puerto Rico. Some were tricked, but some were truly desiring God, right, and who he is, and they wanted to know him. And I was able to speak the love of Jesus that I had come to know to these students, and, and that's where... God really reaffirmed my call to youth ministry, right? And, and he kind of laid on my heart, yes, this is what I have for you. Yes, this is what I want for you. Um, and he really used that summer to, to mold me and shape me um, into who I am and, and who I'm becoming. Um, and so that's, that's kind of my past. Now um, I am engaged to my beautiful fiance, Kara. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, I am transitioning, like we've talked about the past few weeks, into full-time student ministry here. Um, and honestly, I love that I get to invest in the next generation the way that this church has invested in me. And I get to do it in the same place. Um, and so I am just beyond blessed to have that ability um, and that support from you guys to turn around and pour out the love that you guys poured into me. And so I just want to say thank you um, to you guys for that because you guys have been amazing. Um, to me, yeah. <laughs> um, so now that who I am is out of the way, you guys ready for the fun part? There we go, thank you. Um, who's ready to talk about some lust? <laughs> All right, here we go. First though, if you hear anything from my message this morning, I want you to hear this. Real life begins with recognizing our brokenness. On our own, we are broken people. We are broken. Brokenness in God's eyes is being so crushed by the sin and the darkness of the world that we have literally no choice but to turn to God, right? There's, there's no place to go other than God. There's nowhere we can run for this, from this brokenness and from this darkness and from this sin but to God. And so knowing this, let's get into this verse and Matthew, and we can get to lust specifically in a minute, but I want to break down a little bit of context here. Um, when Jesus is talking about this passage, he uses lust, and if you even look at a woman, and he, he, and he kind of goes um, at the side of, of talking about women. Um, and, and that's because I think women historically, and you can even make a really good argument for right now, they're viewed as inferior, lesser than, right? And, that, and that's been a thing where they aren't on the same playing field as men. But this isn't God's view, right? God's view is, is completely different, but the society and the culture of the times tell us and dictate the way that we view things sometimes. And, that, and that's what's happened with our view 
um, between the difference of man and women. And so when Jesus is talking about thing, these things, he's talking about them in the context of this patriarchal view of women. And, and he's talking about it and how women are often looked down on. And I think this is a statement that I think I must have just heard growing up in church and maybe not. Uh, the first service didn't seem to, to recognize it. But have you ever heard the term modest is hottest? Have you heard that? Yeah, some of you? Okay. When we say things like this, it, it just dehumanizes and objectifies, right? And it, I think a prime example of this is how women often get shamed for actions they take, but when men take the same actions, they're applauded, rewarded, right? And that's, that's something that's so prevalent in our society. Um, it, and sometimes you've even seen it become like a competition, and when we do things like this, it tends to place blame on them, or the women um, in most cases, um, for the actions of others or men, right? And so when you look at scripture, Galatians 3.28 um, lays it out for us when it says this, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all on an equal playing field, right? There is no better or worse. There is no difference in the eyes of God. We are all one. One, get it? We've been talking about one. You get it. You're fine. We are all one in the kingdom of God, right? And so Jesus, I believe, is talking about sin kind of in general here um, in this verse in Matthew, but he chooses the physical sin of lust because it is so visible and it's so undeniable, right? And so let's break down um, kind of what, what lust is. Um, and lust is the coveting of a human. And to covet is to desire something that you don't have or that someone else does, right? And, and the problem that lies within this, this coveting is not only the fact that you desire something, it's often the willingness to get what you desire. And, and things like I know this is kind of a heavy topic, but, but sexual assault is such a, like, an, an example of, of this coveting of a human, right? The desire in your heart for physical interaction with another human being literally causes you to impose yourself on them, whether they want it back or not. And this is why Jesus talks about gouging out our eyes. And I'm not saying you got to sit here and get the spoon and rip it out, like, no, but we must go to these great lengths in order for my sin to not be put on you. We must go to great lengths for our sin to not inflict others. Whatever it takes for me to not do this to another human being, I must do. And we have a tendency, I think, we've kind of always had this tendency um, to blame kind of the victim and uh, how many, well, this is just an example. How many times have you heard these words? They asked for it. Or, um, if she didn't want to do it, she wouldn't have dressed like that. Well, they did it with so-and-so, so it was only right they did it with me too, right? Well, that's what her Instagram shows, so that must be what she wants people to think about her. Right, how many times have we heard these things? But here's what I want you to know. It's not on them because the responsibility for the sin lies solely on me, the sinner, 
on I, the sinner. I mentioned earlier um, that I had lost my dad kind of at a young age. Um, And when I was in late elementary school, um, he was diagnosed with leukemia, a form of cancer. Um, and, and my family has been riddled with cancer. That's, that's been something that my family really had to struggle with. Um, and uh, one of the hardest things for me to watch, especially with my dad, was, was how it slowly got worse and worse and worse. And as it got worse and the longer it went on, the more extreme these fixes were, right? The more extreme the surgery was. There are a lot of things in life that I think work the way that cancer does. And I'll, I'll give you a few examples. One is um, like hurtful words, right? If I continue to put hurtful words on you and say hurtful words over you, you begin to believe them about yourself, right? You begin to believe that you are those things that people speak into you. And the longer that those words are said to us, the more damage they cause in our heart and in our mind. Another is abuse. The longer that the abuse goes on, the more extreme the fix is, right? The more extreme the out is, the more it takes out of us. And this morning, I kind of want to say this right here. Sin is a cancer of our spiritual self. Sin is a cancer of our spiritual self. The longer that we let it inhabit us and the more that we let it consume us, the more that we will be in darkness and in brokenness. And the longer that we allow ourselves to commit the sins, the more damage we will do to ourselves and the more damage that we will do to others. So that's why I want to talk about these these four things. Um, Number one is this. We need to recognize the sin that's in our life. And I think um, Lent is a beautifully designed season um, for, for this type of thing, right? We get to kind of reevaluate our relationship with God and, and get to re-kind of define um, what, what our relationship looks like and compare our lives to the way that Jesus lived. Um, no one is perfect, but we all are called um, to live these holy lives. And for us, that means submitting ourselves completely to Christ and his will. And like I said a minute ago, Sin is like that spiritual cancer. The longer that sin goes unnoticed or undetected, the more it spreads and the more it spreads and the more it spreads and the more it grows, right? And the longer it grows and spreads, the weaker that we are against it. We can no longer fight off the cancer in our body because it has overtaken us, right? And sin is the same way. And so, um, number two is this. We need to address and confess the sins in our life. Once we have recognized those sins, it's time for us to do something about it, right? Where they're at in our lives, it's time for us to address it. And so in James 5, it says this, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. 
And so we do this. We address our sins by confessing it. First to the Father, right? We need to have that open line of communication with the Father. This is what's on my heart. This is what I'm struggling with. These are my sins, right? And that's easy, right? A lot of us kind of, yeah, I understand that I need to confess to the Father, right? That makes sense. And what's this business about telling everybody else, right? Like that's, that's hard. That's a hard thing to do, to sit here and, and talk uh, to people that you may not know and, and confess. Um, and so in the spirit of this just all being kind of heavy, I just figured I would add on. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to drop a statistic on you guys this morning. Men, in the United States especially, are three times more likely to commit suicide than women. Three times as likely to commit suicide than women. Why? I have, I have kind of a question for the ladies. I know, scary. <laughs> and, and I don't mean this in a judgmental way because I've met some of you and I know that some, that, that some of you are really good at this, but I think it's so important. Um, when was the last time that you truly checked on the mental health and the emotional health of the men in your life? Think about that for a second. When was the last time that you made a concerted effort to check on the mental and emotional health of the men in your life? Like I said, some of you are good at this, but at the same time, not all men like violently struggle with lust, right? And there, there's, there's people that are all over um, the, the spectrum here. But society perpetuates this idea that men have to be like so strong and, and unbreakable and that men's mental health is like secondary, right? And, and I think men often teach other men or themselves even that they shouldn't have feelings, right? And, and we want to be strong and unbreakable, but at the same time, like, how do we meet the emotional needs of women when I'm not allowed to have emotions myself? And you struggle with that, that back and forth, right? Because men and women are different. There's, and that's a whole message for another time, but there, there is a difference between men and women and how they feel loved and respected. And so how, how do we do that? How do we support the men and women? Because there are a ton of women that deal with mental health and mental issues, but I just wanted to say how astounding it was that, that men commit suicide three times as likely as women do. That's just a crazy stat to me. But how do we do that? How do we, how do we create a place where we can help them, right? And I think um, I struggled with depression. That was a, that was a part of my story. Um, and, and one of the things that helped me, like I said, was that, that group of people that I found um, in my life. Like the, the friends that I made on that mission trip um, are like in my wedding. Like they're, they're for real some of the closest people um, that I've ever been around. And um, just being able to talk through some of my struggles and some of my thoughts and some of my doubts and fears and questions with that small group of people has forever changed the way that I live my life, right? And it continues to change the way that I live my life. And so I encourage you that if you have struggles and if you have hurts and if you have these things, life groups. Life groups, life groups, life groups. Because the people here and in those groups love you and they care about you and just the ability to get things off your chest is so 
so amazing, I promise. But um, like I said, I was able to work through a lot of my issues in that, that small community. And, and I've heard so many wonderful stories of transformation and spiritual growth from some of the people here that are involved. Um, but most importantly, these groups are important because we need to create a place in the church where it's okay to be broken. It's okay to be wounded, sick, hurt, poor. We need to be the place that offers the same grace and love, but most importantly, acceptance that God offers to us. Right? And so we, we can't claim to be Christ's church and not offer anything that he calls us to be. I cannot claim to be Christ's church if we're not offering what Christ's church is called to be. And those things are love and grace and the acceptance that he gives us, right? Number three here is we need to remove the sin from our life. Once we have recognized it and addressed it and confessed it, we need to put ourselves, stop putting ourselves in a position to commit that sin, right? For me, I knew how quickly I would get sucked up into that party culture. I knew how quickly my entire life would just plummet if I stayed at that school, right? And I, and I was able to recognize that because of me kind of going through, okay, what am I dealing with? How can I address it? And, and conversations with other people helped me realize these things. Um, but I had to put myself in a position to no longer be tempted by that sin. And for, the, for me, that meant leaving. We have to be intentional about recognizing what makes you commit these sins that you struggle with and what you can do to take yourself out of it. Um, but here's the thing. Jesus is talking about here gouging our eyes out, cutting off our hands. That means doing whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to get myself out of this sin. And sometimes, sometimes that means stepping away from friendships. Sometimes that means stepping away from people that you love the most. Sometimes that means stepping away from the things that you love the most. Whatever it takes. But here's, here's kind of a, a key point here. When I remove myself from a situation, it is, it is just that. I remove myself. I don't ask you to leave. I don't ask you to stop tempting me to commit the sin. I remove myself from the temptation to commit the sin and not the other way around. Like I said earlier, the responsibility for the sin lies solely on the sinner. And lastly is this. Repeat. This needs to be a constant, constant cycle for us as Christians. And this isn't to, con like, to condemn ourselves. This isn't to shame ourselves over and over and over, right? But this is so that we can be constantly striving to be more Christ-like. Galatians 2.19 through 21 says this, For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I may live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, 
and there was no need for Christ to die. And what, like Paul is saying here, I died to the way of the world, to the expectations, to the will of the world, to everything, the culture, because if I did not die to the way of the world, I cannot live for God. When we completely submit ourselves to Christ, we become a part of the kingdom of God. And we live there, no longer here, but we live in the kingdom of God. We begin to show the fruit of the Spirit because that is what inhabits us. It says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. We have to completely remove the will of our lives from, from the equation. Completely. And, and notice I didn't say our wants and desires. I said our will, right? It's okay to have wants and desires. But we must give those wants and desires to God and trust that he will lead us and guide us according to his will, not mine, not ours. And lastly in there, it says, do not let God's grace be meaningless. Because if the way of the world was enough, if I was able to do it on my own, if I was strong enough on my own, if I didn't need help, what reason would there be for Christ to die? What reason would there be? The band's going to come back up and, and play a song. Um, I said earlier that real life begins um, with recognizing our brokenness. But there's a next to that, and it's this. Real life is experienced by letting God touch our brokenness and bring healing. And as the band plays this song, I want you to listen to these words and let them guide you in your conversation this morning um, with God. Take this as a time of prayer. Um, the altar is always open um, if you need it. Um, let this be a time where you search your heart and you have God search your heart to discover the sins in your life so that we may begin the process of confessing and removing them from our lives and so that we can begin that cycle of being more and more Christ-like. Listen to this song.
Let's pray together this morning. Father, here we come before your throne, and we speak those words, Lord, I am available. We, as your church, God, we are available. And we pray, Father, for the Spirit to move this morning within our hearts and within our minds. God, we pray that you would invade our spirit and that you would change and point out the things that we need to change in our lives, Lord, so that we can begin to start this cycle of removing sin from our lives so that we can be more like you. God, help us to know that you are our comfort, that you are our refuge, and it does not matter how broken we may feel or how broken this world may be, but that we have hope in you and we have hope in the promises that you made to us. So Father, be with us throughout this week as we begin to have these conversations and lift our struggles up to you, Father. 